0: Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us today and happy to have a full crew here in studio. Good morning, Dustin. Good morning, Brian. Morning, everybody. Bob. Hello, guys. Philip. Good morning. And we have Dr. Clay Breiner with us from Cross Country Genetics. He's a veterinarian and they do a lot of reproductive technologies. Good morning, Clay. Good
1: morning, guys. It is exciting to be a part of this group. So we're happy to have you with us, Clay. And we've got a chance to talk with him because
2: Cross
0: Country Genetics is supporting this podcast episode. And we want them to, we want to be able to talk about reproductive technologies that would apply to your operations or at least understand some of the words you hear. So we'll talk about IVF and ET and vitro fertilization and embryo transfer, what those might mean for your operation in the future. Dustin's also got some questions for us that he found that are related to reproductive technology. And then we'll wrap up with talking about some of the things that Clay has learned that impact fertility in her herds that may be relevant to your herd. Before we get into those topics, guys, I I wanted to tell you, so this last weekend was working with, I I wanted to teach our our third grader a little bit about probability. So we played poker. So that was one of the things that I thought would help him learn about probability. But what I didn't realize is you also have to teach lying because he's not very good at bluffing. And so... In fact, at one point, he... So after her
3: and lying. Your wife was loving... She was <laughs> gone this weekend, wasn't she?
0: Well, we don't have to tell her. <laughs> so... But at one point he got up and, and he was getting better because he said, excuse me for a minute. And he walked outside the door because we were in the basement. And just you could just hear him through the door go, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's not much of a better bluff. But I wanted to ask you guys, what games did you play as a kid or do you play now that maybe actually had some lessons behind them? Like, and hopefully good lessons, not probability and lying. Don't jump off the house. Don't jump <laughs> off the house. You know, I'm trying okay. to think. Of, you know, those all had lessons.
4: Uh, yeah.
3: Yeah, there's several I I really can't talk about. One was we I would play spoons with my grandmother, and I learned about a competitive nature in some aspects of my family tree because <laughs> grandma, grandma would uh, she'd, 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 she'd get she'd get competitive playing spoons pretty competitively. Yeah. Dustin I'm trying to think We play lots of
5: games Like who can pull The most weeds Out of the garden <laughs> uh, who, can the, who can dig The biggest Post hole <laughs> Yeah I don't know I don't I mean, I'm not sure about games We're so always You guys
0: are, something. You guys know if I, I was thinking Like Monopoly Risk Or
2: things like you're We like, didn't do a whole lot. I'm of that when we were
4: kids We were outdoor kids We, yeah, yeah, we, were we spent a lot Yeah
2: I learned that WWF is not real It's not real It's not real <laughs> Wrestling yeah. at home Yeah Yeah
1: Clay
0: do you have Any good ones
1: man so I have a twin brother so we grew up playing one-on-one basketball on a gravel road so you can yeah. learn a lot about injuries
0: injury competitiveness way. yeah absolutely so that's excellent so let's let's jump in and let's talk a little bit about and I threw out some acronyms at the at the top but we get these questions and clay maybe tell us a little bit about IVF and ET w- what they mean and Kind of compare and contrast, what are some of the differences?
1: Perfect, so that's that's a great question. In general, the embryo transfer business is just collecting embryos out of a superior cow and putting them into other cows to multiply success or multiply the number of calves she can have. For the longest time, it was conventional ET, And you had to take a cow, a donor, out of the production system for a certain period of time so that you could replicate that, so you could do that. Over the course of the last decade, the in vitro embryo production world, or as most commonly described as IVF, has improved its success, it's improved its culture systems, it's improved its usage in the industry, and it's allowed people to not have to take cattle out of production systems. You can do them while pregnant, you can aspirate them or produce embryos out of heifers at a younger age, so that then they can be bred and Kev in a normal window. So it has expanded a producer's chances to have different options, and um, it's exciting to see the industry grow every year. It makes more embryos, it makes more Kevs, and it has, in my opinion, competed it or put itself in the industry with AI. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that's going to last.
2: So, and just to back up, Clay, because we probably have a lot of familiars that a lot of listeners that aren't familiar with the technology. So with embryo transfer, we are, uh, we're essentially cycling that cow and we're breeding that cow. So the eggs are fertilized within the cow and then we collect the fertilized eggs. Correct. True. Yeah. And then with IVF we're collecting the egg itself. Right. And then we're fertilizing that outside the cow. And that's why, that's why you mentioned if, if you're doing embryo transfer, we're gonna take those eggs, and we're gonna put those into donors that then have to they come out of the system, right? Is that that's yeah. what you mean? Yeah.
0: So she can't be in production and have a calf at the same time as she normally would right. because we're taking the we're taking the embryos, but with IVF you can. So huge huge differences there. End result in both scenarios is we're hopefully taking genetics from that cow that is good, matching them with a bull that we want them matched with, and she's not just having a calf a year she's she well she's having a calf a year but her
1: offspring is much broader yes you could have 30 40 calves a year and and so you're just comparing the two conventionally t the cows the culture system in in vitro production or ivf the production system's a incubator and you're aspirating oocytes from the ovary so a lot more surgical like it's an ultrasound process where you pull them out they are shipped across the united states most culture systems are large labs that are situated kind of close to centers where they can get them in quickly. So ours technically drive in a car now. We used to fly them UPS, but most systems now utilize large labs for the fertilization, for the culture system, and then those embryos end up back at the client's place to either put in fresh or freeze. Yeah,
3: I think, you know, one of the things, as the old guy in the group, my, my grandfather started using AI in the 1950s. We started getting some synchronization products in the 1970s. That's about the time that, that uh, expected progeny differences, kind of the, the calculations to, to add some math to the evaluation of, of superior parentage stock. All of the, you know, so during my career, this we have been able to really expand both our identification of genetically superior cattle, bulls and cows, and figured out ways to actually get more calves from them. One, one step is we'll identify the superior ones, but if you only use natural mating, you're only going to get a handful of calves. And so this has been an exciting part of my career. And, and the last kind of addition has been this in vitro fertilization. That's the most recent technology, but it continues to kind of evolve. So what, what are you seeing both currently that's maybe new than five years ago, and where do you think it's going?
1: So the total number of usages is going up. That is results driven. So the culture systems have gotten better. We're producing embryos at a higher embryo production rate. We're making those embryos produce Kevs at a higher conception rate or a higher pregnancy rate. Those kevs are being born healthier. Early on, there were some problems with large offspring syndrome and certain things that, that created problems at birth. So not only did you have lower production throughout the cycle, but then when they were born, they weren't healthy. So all of that is dramatically changed in the last 10 years and has allowed the world to say this is feasible to be used.
4: You know, so one of the things that I've always thought about about these technologies is they're a purebred producer's tool because they are expensive. And, and, and in my mind, from probably looking at older data, the success rate was really pretty low when you compare it to AI or just, you know, natural service. And so how how is it how much improvement have we made in success rates and how is it now being used in commercial operations where they can they can get that to work financially
1: So total improvement probably hasn't changed too much other than the IVF world it's you know t- historically they would be 30% results pretty common now you'll see 50% to be more common big changes for the for the commercial world are that most of these producers that, that are selecting for these higher genomic or higher valued animals have the ability to sell a lot of them. So to, to do that, they're utilizing these commercial people to raise kevs for them. They're willing to pay the commercial producer a higher value over market price than what you would just get as you could go to the sale barn with. So you're kind of being able to hedge your kev crop a little bit. If you could synchronize 50 cows if you could make 50 of those heavy t Kevs which would be amazing if you could hedge half of your kef crop at a 3 to $500 premium above market you would be able to say that that was a huge success that year so that's how the commercial world is trying to fit in and as conception rate has improved they've been willing to take the chance
0: yeah a lot a lot better as you can you can see those technologies improving so there's a role for both the commercial producer and then on the on the purebred side i would say the the other offshoot benefit to the commercial producer is we've got lots more of the good genetics out there, right? It's easier to select, which means it's easier for me to get my hands on it, right? If we can produce more of it. So, and I know Dustin, you had some questions for us that you had kind of summarized that you'd looked at the so the National Animal Health Monitoring System through USDA, does a survey every few years and kind of they survey nationally and they do it in a way to kind of give us a status of the industry and i know you'd looked up some stuff relative to repro for today
5: so yeah i think they actually do surveys every year but just different species but then in 2017 i believe it was a cow calf specifically yeah. and so i guess i was only focused on cows well <laughs> <laughs> and i couldn't have asked i mean so first questions. these all, are cow questions though right you're not asking us on other species this is, okay. is not llamas or pacas or whatever we were talking about earlier <laughs> these are cow calf questions these are reproductive technologies as defined however the usda defines them okay so the first question i've got for you thinking about reproduction technology so when they surveyed u.s cow calf operations can you tell me the top three reproduction technologies that were listed that were commonly used the most commonly used ones in the u.s
3: so i'll jump in i, I would imagine embryo or uh, Artificial insemination is yeah. the most commonly used.
5: I'll, I'll
2: say yeah. synchronization. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say synchronization.
0: synchronization. I'd separate them for okay. two technologies synchronization,
4: AI, Ultras. Do EPDs count as reproductive technologies because I'm selecting which animals to reproduce?
5: No, I don't they're, see that.
1: They don't jump in the list? Yeah, yeah
3: it kind of depends on what what usda is including
1: but uh do you want to guess clay, clay? I'm, I'm always going to guess embryo transfer he's going to guess M- <laughs> et so the what
5: they got here listed was number one at 14 and percent or sorry at 19.7 percent of all operations is semen evaluation okay, uh, okay. yeah yeah okay.
0: Yep.
5: Uh, number two at 19.3 is palpation for okay. pregnancy number three is body conditioning scoring at 13.6 And then number four is artificial insemination, 11.6.
3: Okay. Yeah, we kind of jumped to some of the higher tech. Yeah, that's – and then (laughs) –
0: Which which we skipped over, and we should not have skipped over, because semen evaluation at 19%, that means one in five bowls is getting semen checked. Not enough. That's not enough. Yeah, we ought to have have more than that, because that makes up – if you're not using one of these technologies, that bowl that goes bad – can wipe out a, a calf crop for whoever he was supposed to breed that year. So important even, not just in yearling bulls.
2: Well, and the way they do this, sir, it's actually one in five herds, right? Yeah, one in five herds. So it, that actually could be worse than one in five bulls because yep. if there are herds that don't ever do it. Good point, Brian.
5: So the next question is going to be uh, related to defined calving seasons. So thinking specifically I want to talk about the length of the breeding season. I was a little surprised. I would never would have guessed this. but uh, so again, surveyed these operations that have at least one or more defined breeding seasons. Let's think about the length in days. So I'll just give you the categories and you kind of tell me which of these is most common. Most common: fewer than 64 days, 64 to 84, 85 to 105, 105 to 150, 150 or more. 105 to 150.
4: 150 or more. I don't think that's a defined breeding. <laughs> <laughs> it is defined. It is. 12 months long. Yep. <laughs> um, I'll I, Go ahead, Philip. I was going to say, what was the third one? 85 to 105 yep. or something yeah. like that? Yeah. I
3: agree, I agree with Philip. That's what I was going to say, too. Bob? Uh, I I, I think it may be the, the longest one out there. The greater than 150? One, greater than 150.
1: Clay? I, I think it very well could be the 85 to... 105, to me, is where you would like to be.
3: But. Yeah, I think there's there are a lot of herds in that, but I don't know if it's the most herds.
5: So, again, these are just what people report, so you take them for what they're <laughs> worth. Uh, fewer than 64 at 32.8% of the operations. Hmm, good. Hmm. Second is hmm. the 85 to 105 at 27, 28%. 106 to 150 is 20%. The 150 or more is actually 6%. Okay. Hmm. So I would probably not have guessed that. On average, across – I'm surprised that less than 64 was the biggest category. Yeah. So that's three cycles
0: to and,
3: – And honestly, I, I like that for a calving season, but I don't really recommend that for bulls. I, no, I sort
0: them think out at preg check. But, but combine if that – They're not preg checking. Combine that with only about 20%, less than 20% of people are preg checking. So you could leave your bulls out longer, leave them out 90 days, no problem, preg check and have a 60-day calving season right because your question was about breeding season so uh, that's another place to apply that that preg check technology
5: so i got one more question here last one and so for those operations that have one or more breeding seasons what's the most common factors let's say top three or four that determine the length of that of that most recent breeding season what factors determine how long labor tradition so tradition labor as in hired labor or
4: well i was thinking more like not cow labor no not cow labor (laughs) (laughs) yes like people labor (laughs) yeah well there's times a
0: year the cows go on strike so we gotta Um, work around
5: that (laughs) so we got labor and tradition
1: marketing plan marketing Marketing plan clay I, i think labor plays a big role today especially
3: i think some of it has to do with even your forage base as in I I take the bulls out when we switch to different grazing or take them to crop residues or something like that. So based on the grazing opportunities.
5: So number one at 45% was tradition. Uh, Weather was number two at about 26. Forage availability is number three at 8.3. The market cycle was 7%, number four. Increased weaning weights was, I guess, been next at 5%. Timing of herd movement.
3: And uh, that may have been
5: what I was talking about too. And then labor availability. You can't. You can't 100%. after the fact go.
0: Oh, well, that's the one. I, well, that's actually what I meant. I, I
3: actually <laughs> combined two together. <laughs> yeah. So therefore, if I combine two together, I might. I might actually do well.
0: Yeah.
5: <laughs> so those would be the questions. Uh, I guess this go around with. But but,
0: so the, those are great questions. I do want to follow up on that last one just briefly. The tradition being being number one, and I think all of us see that in operations. Right. It's easy to get in that groove which is actually fine if that decision still fits the operation. But operations evolve over time, and that may be a decision to think about once in a while. Does it still make sense to calve and breed when we do? And you're not going to make huge changes to that, but if you decide you want to make a change, you, you could do that over time, or that may be a good time to apply some of these technologies that Clay talked about earlier, which is a good segue to one of the things, Clay, before we got on, we were talking about You have learned a ton that, as we we talked about some of the higher-end technologies, but a lot of what you learned is about reproduction, which affects every commercial cow operation. And reproduction is hugely important. What are some of the big things that you've learned that really impact fertility in a positive or negative way that may be some take-homes for our cow-calf producers?
1: Yeah, so huge, huge questions. A lot of it is still steeped in tradition on how you feed an animal, what your vaccine program has been forever but to me that's those are the the things that affect our job every day is is how they feed them how they manage them and then trying to fit that environment so that the production system has a chance to, to succeed and in every spot that changes so if we travel quite a bit around the midwest so you have to be willing to adapt with them and and do it at the correct time
3: so I, I, there's a several of us veterinarians here that really get excited about reproduction but oh. Dr. Lancaster's over here puffing up his chest because he, he thinks you just said he's the most important. Most important. <laughs>
1: Nutrition is always the most important. That's right. And and it becomes more complicated every day as feed costs go up, as feed availability changes today. We have lots of concern with drought and, and lots of factors that we can't control. So having to change and, and adapt to those is, is tough.
4: Yeah, and, and we know that from a fertility standpoint and reproduction standpoint, you know, good... Adequate energy and protein, make sure they're in good body condition score when you get ready to breed or, or use some of these technologies. But you know, from your perspective, I'm, I'm kind of curious, what have you seen from the mineral side? Have, have you seen anything where some of the, the organic minerals are helping these fertility in some of these technologies like IVF and ET?
1: Yes, huge. I think a lot of it is availability and timing. And most of the studies that you see will talk about it being 30, 60 days prior to breeding, getting something that is available to them so that you can help reduce the postpartum interval, help uterine involution occur, help start cyclicity. After that, I think a base mineral program is probably the most important, so you can try to target where you spend your most most money in the mineral program but but having it is is necessary especially with a lot of the feedstuffs today that are distillers oriented i think that that mineral becomes even more important in those situations it's a great point clay because it depends a lot on what
0: your overall ration is right so how do i fit that in and you really need to have a plan for the entire year but we're thinking about this a lot as we come up on breeding but that die is cast based on how we made it through the winter, right? It's not gonna change a ton because cows are having calves and then they're they're moving to the next step.
2: I feel like we need to keep the nutritionist in check a little bit here. So <laughs> so what about what about the health of the of the dam, Clay? Like what what are the things that you think you really focus on with your clients as far as health management so that not just just beyond nutrition, but what are the other things that you recommend say, Hey, we're gonna start we're, we're going to start into an ET or an IVF program with this herd. What are the two or three things you would tell them from a health perspective you really need to think
1: about? Not to take away from nutrition, we'll always start there. Um, but vaccine programs, you know, how they use them to me is specific to the area and the place and the type, but making sure they're using them appropriately and correctly, modified lives earlier killed more often and then just the the overall health and well-being of the environment making sure that they're not in spots where heat is a problem they're not in spots where where mud is a problem anytime we start increasing that stress especially around breeding or around return heats or around preg checks all of those things can have negative impacts on what we do or what the outcome is for the producer. Yeah,
0: it certainly can be a, sorry, Brian, to interrupt you. It certainly can be a cumulative process. So, what I'm hearing, Clay, is it's managing health to benefit reproduction is not one thing. I can't just go give a vaccine. I also have to manage my environment, I have to manage my nutrition. Reproduction is a luxury. And you kind of said this as we were talking earlier that reproduction is the one thing that may go first if we start to get some illness, if we start to get some problems. That's where we're going to see a drop. Sorry for interrupting. Brian.
2: No, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is we, you know, we were chatting earlier a little bit, and, you know, talk about the difference between when you've got an animal that has a systemic illness, it's going to impact reproduction, right? Like you, you're going to see negative effects. Um, if she's just not healthy.
0: So Clay, as you as you work through with producers and you talk about improving fertility, we didn't talk a lot about expectations. So with with some of the technologies, certainly you mentioned what our expectations are, but what do you see in, in commercial herds? Do you see changes in fertility over time or, or are we kind of at the baseline of where we are?
1: That's a great question. I, th- I think fertility you know, needs to be maximized, then you start doing that with nutrition, you start doing that with herd health. And then you utilize these other systems, whether it's just AI, whether it's conventional ET, whether it's IVF, and you start plugging them in based on where you're comfortable with the success rate, because you're going to maximize those rates with nutrition, with herd health, with environment. And each one has its own pluses and minuses. Some of them do better. AI traditionally will always have the highest conception rate. Conventional ET, putting in fresh embryos, typically comes in second. Then you start talking about IVF and whether you're putting them in fresh or not. Um, The frozen IVF embryo probably has the least success rate, but is the most common one made today. So somewhere in there you have to work on your risk and make sure that you're you're utilizing them correctly. If you're going to put in frozen IVFs, you probably need to transfer them twice. That'll increase the number of kevs that you have born that year. And you're just trying to overcome what is a known, less produ- less efficiently produced production system. So you just try to figure out which ones those are, maximize them to get to the end point, And then hopefully you get a producer that is, is satisfied with the number of kevs that they produce that year so they can market them and and have what is the fun part for them, which is selling something that is valuable. So them.
0: increasing the value in it. And what I'm hearing, and I think great job sharing with us, because what I'm hearing is this is an opportunity to increase value. But I need to talk to an expert to make sure it fits my operation, how it works and We appreciate you joining and sharing with us. We're going to have to have you back because we didn't get to all the topics we wanted to discuss today because there are several good repro ones. But Dr. Clay Briner, who is from Cross Country Genetics, who is a veterinarian and also specializes in repro, does a a great job explaining it. Feel free to contact him or always contact us. If you have questions, you can send us an email at bci at ksu.edu.